1: Hello and welcome back to the H2P Podcast here on DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I'm your host, Gary Morgan. With me as always, the beat writer for Pitt Athletics over at DK Pittsburgh Sports, Corey Christen. How are you? And happy holidays, my friend. We haven't spoken much during this period of time.
0: Yeah, happy holidays. Happy New Year. Merry bladed Christmas to those that are listening and you, of course, as well, Gary. Yeah, the holidays throw a wrench into things, you know, people are traveling they're going you know up north to see family down south to see family east and yeah. west and uh you know we got to finally reconvene here on new year's eve eve so to speak and today we thought it was a really good opportunity to take a step back and look at the year that was pit athletics in 2023 and paint a little picture on what could happen in 2024 and this was a really wild and kind of a zany year in
1: some ways uh in pit athletics gary it really was there's a lot to cover um just with pit itself but i think there's a lot of conference conversations and even maybe the viability of the football bowl system that i think is being brought into question here Mm -hmm. um a lot of things i think are going to start to change on the collegiate scene so 2023 was transformative for Pitt in many ways, and for I think the NCAA. So let's start with basketball. That's that's probably where we wanted to start. Pitt basketball shocked the world last year a little bit, I think, by getting to the tournament. Right? None of us saw that coming. Everyone picked them to be in the bottom of the ACC, and Jeff Capel put together. You know what, looked on paper like it could very potentially be a hodgepodge of nothingness. You pirate fans probably recognize
0: <laughs> Dennis Eckersley, great, but
1: but it turned out eh, not so much. I mean, these guys really came together. He showed a knack for putting a bunch of diverse talents together and having them somehow come together as a team and a really strong, bonded team, too. Mm-hmm. Super quick. You get the the same kind of feeling this year. Has Pitt's program turned the corner, Corey? That's what happened in 2023. It was a good event, or was it a turning of the corner? I think it's a
0: turning of the corner. To me, this is the biggest storyline in Pitt athletics from the year. And when you have one of your revenue sports, and I think that's the key thing here. It's one of your revenue-generating sports, football, men's basketball. When you have one of your revenue-generating sports, that was fledgling at best for four years before that. Right. And, and remember, enter the season with Jeff Capel on the hot seat. When you have your, your program that is revenue, that needs to perform well, and it's not doing well over four years, you start to create those questions of, is the head coach, is the system, is this program in good hands with this coach? And Jeff Capel was challenged to start this season, this last season. And he rose to it in a big way. To me, this this rise of the Pitt basketball program is the storyline of the year. They were picked 14th in the conference. Nobody, and and myself included, believed in them. It was the, like you said, the hodgepodge of nothingness, so to speak, where it was all of these transfer guys, four out of the five starting lineup, was going to be uh, a transfer and the fifth Jamarius Burton transferred in the year prior. So it was, how is this group going to come together to do anything? And right. sure enough, this group came together to do a lot. They reach the NCAA tournament, the first four in Dayton. They knock off Mississippi state. Of course, Jamarius Burton with the, with the game winning bucket with about 10 seconds to play. Then they go to Greensboro and absolutely beat the doors off of Iowa state. Like I didn't, I didn't think that game was going to be any blowout either way. I thought it was going to be a close game, but Pitt came out and they held Iowa state to like, like two of 28 shooting or something like that to start the game. Like it was a very, very low percentage effort to start for Iowa state and they blew the doors off of them. That was the, you know, Jorge de Guillermo. Oh brother call from iron Eagle that game that I think is etched in a lot of people's heads now. And then, of course, facing Xavier, Sean Miller, that team was always really good. That team was pretty much always going to beat Pitt. Like, if you played that game 100 times, I would say Xavier wins at 75 out of 100. Like, yeah. Xavier was that good compared to Pitt. You know, Sule Boom, Adam Kunkel, um, Jack Nungee, really good team, Xavier. So, no one was really shocked to see Pitt out of the tournament at that time. But the fact that they got there in the first place, I mean, two wins over North Carolina, they beat Virginia. They, they up and Syracuse. And like, I remember, I mean, of course I'm a Syracuse alum. So I remember that game at Pitt where it was like the unraveling of Jim Beheim, pretty yeah. much. And like the old man, get off my lawn type deal for Jim Bayheim, like after that Cuse game. Cause remember, if you remember correctly, the bulletin board material that he gave by saying, you know, paying for players and all of that, and then he got booed on and off the court at Pitt. That was, I'm sure, a sight to see um, for that. J. Byron Fleck on on Facebook here, as we're broadcasting on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, uh, J. Byron Fleck says, "What what moment will you look back on 15 years now and say, I remember Pitt football 2023. For me, it's Boo City PA. That's a big one that we wanted to get into at some point. But men's basketball, to me, Gary, is number one.
1: Yeah, I would say men's basketball is probably the the most positive, like big money making story of the of the the uh, the program overall. We're obviously going to talk about some of the other um, things like volleyball and football. So keep your pants on, if you will. And, oh and when and as you're and as you're following here. Go ahead and throw into the chat things that you thought were transformative from 2023 that you want to make sure we bring up, because we could miss stuff, too, because circling back to basketball, Jeff Cable showed me some stuff, Corey, that I, I, I think that we can take away more than just the tournament run and everything. I think it's it's important to to note he did this while losing probably the player he most counted on to give him points and minutes last year. They went with seven deep, you know, like, like on a, on a pretty deep tournament run for a team like that. Yeah. And in a conference, they weren't supposed to be anything in. They, they just managed to pull an awful lot together. I, I personally am way more confident in him as a coach than I think the record or even where they went has any business sending me as a fan. Mm-hmm. I just felt like I learned a lot about what he could overcome. And that just makes me feel like, man, if he ever gets what he wants.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and don't forget Federico got hurt in the ACC tournament, which right. limited them on what they could do in the NCAA tournament once they got there. And they were in first place up to the last day of the season. If you remember that game against Miami was the decider for who was going to be the top seed in the ACC. If Pitt won that game, they were guaranteed the top seed. They lost it. Remember Blake Henson fires up the buzzer beater, misses it. Um, and then Pitt ends up being the, what, five seed? I don't remember. Five, six seeds. So, but they right. didn't get the double buy is the point. So that's how good they were last year. That's what the level they got to. And I love what you said about Jeff Capel. He showed you something. He showed you that his recipe can work. Yeah. When after four years... That recipe gave you mediocrity. And the point about John Hughley, he was the guy they built everything around. And then, of course, everything that happened with him, of course, now he's in Oklahoma. They had to reconfigure their entire core. John Hughley was the guy they were going to build this around to have Jamarius Burton and, and Nike Sabandi and Federico, the twins, all of these guys. And they found a way to do it without him. And I think that's massive and a massive credit. Obviously, ACC coach of the year, Jeff Capel.
1: Like I come up in the cooking world, Corey. So, oh, talk to me. I love it. Well, for me, like (laughs) if you go into a kitchen and you've got milk and vinegar and tell me you don't have buttermilk for an ingredient, I'm telling you that you don't know how to cook. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, that's Jeff Capel. He didn't have all of his ingredients and he still made something that was pretty damn appetizing. I just think that that showed us something. Um, so this year, when I think he has more talent and more depth, and he's still kind of got a team that isn't looked at as as going to do anything all that special. Mm-hmm. I'm not counting him out. I'm not counting this team out. So, like, all that stuff just didn't discourage me this year the way it did entering 2023. All of the prognostications and everything. At, yeah my estimation is probably right around where you are bottom third of the league most likely Mm -hmm. but i'm not going to count him out it's possible and we probably have to end the basketball segment take a quick break come back jump into the next sport All right, we're back to the Pirates Fan Forum here on DK Pirates Pittsburgh. Fan Forum. Sports. Not the Pirates Fan Forum, I'm sorry, <laughs> it's a wrong up. Listen, I'm juggling things like Corey is, and and so I, I'm surprised he hasn't talked about the Steelers yet. Yeah, but really, <laughs> like, yeah. Really. So anyway, Corey, who's mm-hmm. starting on? So- I think we know the it's answer. Mason. I know,
0: Money Mason it's, for you. It's,
1: it's been Mason the whole long, the whole time. I know. All right, so pit volleyball reaches their third straight final four. And um, it was an exciting time. I mean, not to, not to intentionally go back to the Steelers, but Ben Roethlisberger's there on the sidelines and like pumping up the team. And really the Pete was packed for, for those games. And I thought that was impressive. Really. We've talked about this before. The Pete is not an easy place to get to. So to see the volleyball team supported like that. It, again, it's not supposed to be a revenue generating sport, but man, that really, really was was encouraging to see. Talk about this program overall, how impressive it is, how impressed people should be. You get
0: to three straight Final Fours, you're doing something right, and that's Dan Fisher for you. You know, he loses. Uh, he loses a couple really big major pieces from the 22 Final Four team. And some thought, you know, all right, Rachel Fairbanks is coming back. Valeria Vasquez Gomez is coming back. Cat uh, Flood, Emmy Klicka, like they have good pieces coming back. But who's going to fortify the front line? And wow, did they find two really rock solid pieces with Olivia Babcock and Tori Stafford? Those two just held it down up front, along with Chia Nuokolo. Like, what a job by Dan Fisher getting this team back. And reconfiguring this team, so to speak, and and Babcock obviously winning ACC, you know, ACC freshman of the year at NCAA freshman of the year, basically like unbelievable stuff. And look, they, they got the monkey off their back, so to speak, to me over Louisville with two wins over Louisville and then beating Louisville in the NCAA tournament to get to the final four. I mean, this program just keeps elevating. When you think they don't have another height to achieve, they find a way to achieve it. Honestly, and I'm not speaking about this with hyperbole here. The next step for them is getting to the national title game. That's the next step for them. They haven't been able to do that. Once they get to the final four, this year they faced a really rock solid Nebraska team. And Nebraska has youth and depth at every position, up front and in the back. Like I didn't think that team had any seniors, if I if my memory serves correctly. Like that Nebraska team was unbelievable. So they that's the next step for this Pitt volleyball program. Get to the national championship game. Right. And they're right there. They're on the doorstep and they've consistently been there now over the last three years. What Dan Fisher's doing for this program, a non-revenue sport, a sport that is growing in popularity in this city, it has been unprecedented like i say men's basketball is the biggest storyline of the season for me because that's a big deal for pit in and of itself from a revenue standpoint from a business standpoint but what they're doing with this volleyball program and building up an olympic sport and building up a non-revenue sport as one of the best in the country it's one of the best five in the country right now easily like that means so much to the value of pit athletics. It's more of a Testament to Heather. Like it's more of a Testament towards the resources dedicated. And again, this city has embraced. It got so embraced to a point where 93, seven, the fans started broadcasting pit volleyball games on air. That doesn't happen in, in, in every town that doesn't happen, especially in a town, in a city where it's not a college town. It is a this is a pro sports town. Let's not forget. And they're broadcasting women's volleyball on the radio here on 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 local radio where you can get in the car and turn the dial. And there it is. So that's a massive deal for everything, not just within that program, but also in the grand scheme for Pitt and their athletic department.
1: Yeah, it's exciting. I'm glad that they're doing so well. I think I've seen it start to reflect itself in the high school ranks here locally as well. You know, Western PA high school teams have really been t- picking up the ball, if you will, in, in volleyball and, and starting to, to be more dominant in the region as well. So it's exciting to see the trickle down of, of something like that. And um, good stuff for for Heather, like, and everyone involved. Football, Corey. <laughs> mm, here we go. Boo
0: City, PA is Jay Byron Flex Flexes here on the Facebook chat. Boo
1: City, PA. boo City, PA. So that's that's a highlight from this year. Mm-hmm. I think let's generalize a little bit because we could Ooh. go through we could go through all of his statements and and everything that happened. And I think it's safe to to say at a top level Rocky season for Pat and Arduzzi. and maybe um, they didn't do a good job of selling exactly how much they lost early on um, to the fan base, you know, <laughs> or maybe made them feel like they were going to have a little bit more of a blip of a season as mm-hmm. opposed to a collapse of a season. But, this is a lot of what we were concerned about. I don't think either of us saw it getting quite this bad, though.
0: Nobody could have. Nobody could have. And, and yeah, you and I never like got on the hype train, so to speak, of here's Phil Dracovic. They're going to win 10 games. Like, no, right. neither of us were on that. No. You and I were were probably the most skeptical people when it came to like, all right, this guy, it's, it's nice that he's in a system he's familiar in. But, like, it didn't work for Keaton Slovis. And and Phil, is he is he even better than Keaton? And we were like, eh, not really. I, I specifically
1: then, remember one of our comments we got on one of our shows early on about Phil Dracovic was that we were both miserable bastards. So, like, we definitely we definitely didn't go well, on to the hype train at all. Listen,
0: Listen, I'm not right that often. So, I'll take it. I'll take the ball and run with it when I am. <laughs> Like, I was skeptical on the receivers. I was skeptical on, on replacing the ACC leading rusher. I was skeptical on losing six guys to the NFL on the defense. We Nobody wanted to talk about that in the preseason, that they lost six guys to the NFL on the defense. And it's like, okay, these, these guys, Shade Simon can replace Sarasye Dennis. Nope. Deslin Alexander can be replaced. Kalaja Kansi can be replaced. What? Kalaja Kansi can be replaced. No, he can't. Nobody could can replace that. So, look, I understand that this program operates on a certain wavelength, and that wavelength is that Pat Narduzzi finds these diamonds in the rough, so to speak, in recruiting. Three stars, maybe a four star or two every here and then. That's just what they are. That's just what they get. And he develops, and he has a good coaching staff that develops. Well, the problem is top of the food chain, a.k.a. the quarterback, the quarterback stunk. In fact, two quarterbacks stunk. In fact, two maybe and a half quarterbacks stunk <laughs> this season. And the offensive coordinator had to be replaced. And now Cade Bell to me a big a big chip in that is Cade Bell coming in now and Frank Signetti being fired. So like when Pitt had everything, it was almost it was almost like Murphy's law, right? Anything that could go wrong did. Um it, it was almost like if there if there was something that Pitt had to try to do well, it either was middling or it collapsed completely, yeah. and and that starts at the quarterback position. Phil Dracovic, the grand homecoming flop, completely. And to me, the most damning thing of all was the backyard brawl. You saw it, I saw it. anybody <laughs> listening to this saw it. Seventeen to six final. Phil completed eight of twenty passes for eighty one yards and, and three interceptions, and he didn't get benched. I it, the offense was booed onto the field in Morgantown. Remember that? Yeah, onto did. the field by the road fans in Morgantown. When's the last time a pit team got booed by pit fans in Morgantown? This season to me was as frustrating as it could get from both an internal and just a general viewing perspective.
1: It was. And and I, I mean, you hit on something really important. I think about Pat and our you teams, you're, you're right about his recruiting and it is going to be that, that three-star type recruit, two stars that he turns into something, and he's had success with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But you're never going to replace guys who are fully evolved, you know, seniors or, you know, really evolved juniors that end up going into the draft or whatever the next year. Mm -hmm. That's just not the way this system is ever going to work. And when you have a mass exodus, meaning like a whole bunch of them graduate, and or transfer at the same time, this team's not going to recover quickly. And I don't really care who they bring in to be a quarterback. They could have John, Joe Montana's clone child, and it wouldn't matter because in all sincerity, they just didn't have the, the four years of development on the lines and in the secondary and the linebacking core and that's stuff that can't be replaced. I, and I, Signetti got a lot of blame. But Signetti also just didn't have the tools to work with. Mm-hmm. So now he's part of the recruiting p- puzzle. So it's his p- fault as well.
0: Yeah. What? Uh, as Jay Byron Fleck here in the in the Facebook chat says, what's the one moment you're going to look back on 15 years from now and say I remember that? For me, it was the absolute mess in South Bend. They got destroyed by Notre Dame. <laughs> And, and I remember walking into that press room. I remember, oh, what's this press conference going to be? And Pat Narduzzi said what he said about his players, about his development, about the roster construction. And it didn't come out the way he wanted it to. You remember this. And it got kind of blown out of proportion, not by me, somebody else tweeting And posting a a quote a misquote of it and it just got absolutely rocketed viral and and then Pat Narduzzi had to go into damage control Pitt Athletics had to go into damage control like that was a huge thing that I will remember but the comment in and of itself is the big thing and like from there it was like oh man are the floodgates going to open who's in who's out who's looking at that and saying well that's an indictment on me like that's that was something that was the big one to me. And, and as Jay Byron said, boo city was a great comment. It was that a was, terrible, was it was a
1: terrible comment. comment. It was a terrible way to handle it, mm-hmm. but it's also a sentiment that should have been shared early on in spring that it was coming. And, and the only reason I say that is because as a coach, looking at that team, looking at what you have, knowing how difficult it is to replace all that experience And that's the way he should have handled it is talking about replacing that experience, not replacing skill level, right? You can, because you have to stretch the truth a little bit. So you say, I'm replacing all this experience and that's going to be hard. You don't say I'm replacing good players with mediocre players. You you say, I'm replacing good experienced players with good unexperienced players. That's, and that's a challenge. But they never laid any kind of track like that. You know, they made it sound like next man up. Tomlin does the same sort of thing all the time. I don't even know if I can expect different than that from a coaching staff. I'm just saying as a fan, I I wasn't made to feel like there was any kind of sense of of direness. Maybe a little depth issue here and there. But -hmm. I don't think we felt like there was supposed to be some catastrophic drop off. And there sure was.
0: No, no, we didn't think it was going to be this bad, as you said. We didn't think it'd be three and nine bad. You know, we we thought maybe six wins, 500 at least. Like, West Virginia probably should have been a win. Virginia Tech, you could argue, should have been a win. I mean, they, they were terrible against... Look at backup and third-string quarterbacks they faced this year. They were terrible against all of them, pretty much. Right. And, like, in the final game of the season, Riley Leonard and Duke. Like, no Riley Leonard, and that was kind of the icing on the cake there. And a big part of that is the offense couldn't score. But also, let's not forget with this program is that we're in the third straight off season where we don't know who the starting quarterback is going to be going into the next season. Like, all right, Keaton Slovis versus Nick Patty, that was a that was a thing for a bit, but it was always going to be Keaton. Going into this season, it was always going to be Phil, but the controversy came because Keaton transferred out and Phil transferred in. Now it is a matter of Christian Vayer or Nate Yarnell or Julian Duggar or Ty Diefenbach or somebody else that could potentially come in and transfer with Cade Bell as a new offensive coordinator. So we're going into 2024 not knowing who Pitt's starting quarterback is going to be as of this moment.
1: Yeah, I, I guess I'll worry about it when it's time to worry about it, but I certainly didn't see anybody do anything that made me feel like they should be 100% locked to return as the starting quarterback. I liked some things Yarnell did. I liked some things Bayer did. I'm okay with both of them being involved in, in that conversation. I'm okay with Duggar winning the job. I'm okay with the transfer. But I'm tired of the the super senior transfers that like are supposed to come in here. They kind of failed in a bigger program or didn't get a shot. In a, there's a reason they didn't get a shot. Yeah. Like, I just think the grass isn't greener for teams just the same way it isn't for players. And we Mm -hmm. should take another quick break and come back because I want to talk about a couple things that are maybe a little bigger than just Pit. welcome back to the h2p podcast i got it right this time corey
0: yes you did great job
1: we're we're (laughs) gonna talk we're gonna talk a little bit about uh the acc and college football in general because first of all this is the least i've paid attention to the bowl games i can ever remember now i'm coming at this from straight a fan Mm -hmm. and yeah i don't have a dog in this fight but these bowl games these are not representative of the teams we have watched. <laughs> they are just not. No, this is, it's not any fun. I want to see. I'm sorry. I want to see Marvin Harrison Jr. I want to see like Ohio okay. State's starting quarterback.
0: Well, he's a Syracuse Orangeman now. Let's let's.
1: But I, I'm just saying, like, I want to <laughs> see, I I wanna see the, the teams that played and got there. Like, I understood, I've always understood these seniors that were going to go into the draft that don't want to play. I get it. And I've always understood the transfers. I get it. Hey, we let coaches do it for years. I can't sit here and say it's not right. Yeah. But I can sit here and say as a fan, it's killing my experience. I have zero interest in watching these bowl games. And I'm not trying to be a vindictive guy. I want them all to get paid. I want them to be able to do but it sucks for the experience. It's just not fun. And yeah. even these playoffs, they're tainted because of what they did to Florida State. They, I mean, like, I think Florida State would have got boat raced, but I don't care. They earned that shot mm-hmm. and, they, and they ruined the experience for me. I just I'm not interested.
0: And now Florida State's looking even deeper and filing lawsuits against the ACC to try to get out.
1: Well, that's topic number two. So let's move on after this.
0: Yeah. One. Well, yeah. We'll we'll get to that in a second. But like when you look at the Bulls, okay, like the ACC's five and four right now with one to play, and the la- and the last one to play is Georgia, Florida State, and Florida State's going to get smoked by Georgia because half of their team is not playing for either op- for opt out reasons or injury reasons. Like I think part of the mystique of the Bull season is that you can watch Toledo versus Wyoming shout out to the Rockets like today in the Arizona bowl. And like, you can either watch it with intent or you're maybe throwing a little scratch on it, or you're just like hanging out with your buddies. And it's like, Oh, let's put this random college football game on. That's part of it. But for the fans of programs, like look at the sun bowl last year for Pitt. how many guys opted out? How many guys were under the port or entering the portal? How many guys were sitting out for the NFL draft? Like, that takes some of the sting out of it. No question about it. Like you said, you want to see Marvin Harrison play. You don't want to see, you don't want to see their, their, their third string quarterback. That's wearing Jersey number 33 or whatever it is like throwing the football. You want to see Kyle McCord and Marvin Harrison. So I get it. Um, Look at the ACC. Like none of these games were really like bangers. Like, Oh, I got to sit down and watch that South Florida, Syracuse. Like, of course I'm an alum of Syracuse. So I'll, I'll pay attention. But I already know that they're replacing the head coach. They're replacing the quarterback. They have a ton of new transfers coming in. Half of these guys will be here next year. Right. Then you look at the Gasparilla Bowl, Georgia Tech, Florida, uh, Central Florida. All right, whatever. Birmingham Bowl, Duke, Troy. All right. Uh, Military Bowl. The one I had real interest in from the ACC perspective was the Military Bowl. Virginia Tech, Tulane. Because Tulane, for my money, was, was the best group of five school all season in college football. And then Virginia Tech destroyed them by 21. It was 41-20, a final. Um, West Virginia beating North Carolina was something. But again, like with these opt-outs, no Drake May for North right. Carolina. Like if they had Drake May play, they'd probably win that game by two scores. Absolutely. So you, so you can't really grade it fairly. Louisville had a bunch of guys sit out. They got smoked by USC, who also had a bunch of guys sit out. I mean, Miami getting beat by Rutgers. How about that? How about that? Clemson beating Kentucky as well. So like... Um, on oh, Boston College beats Southern Methodist, so there's your ACC preview for next year, I guess.
1: Yeah, but you're asking people, you're asking a fan base to tr- and students to travel sometimes all the way across the country, right? Sometimes to a destination where, quite frankly, there isn't anything else to do but watch that game, and maybe find a corner bar. <laughs> like there just isn't anything else going on in a place like El Paso, for instance. You're gonna find some good food, but like. There, there's a lot of these places that, that they're asking you to go and travel to for what? Yeah. I mean, I saw a ton of Miami fans just livid about the team that was put on the field in that, that, that bowl game they were, they were in up in Boston. What's pinstripe the point? Bowl
0: up in New York. Indiana. Yeah.
1: Or Pin State Bowl. What's yeah. the point of that? That, yeah. well, were, that game shouldn't have even been played with what was on that field. I'm sorry. It shouldn't have been. I've, I've seen Turkey Bowl pickup games better than that. <laughs> It was awful. And the Ohio State game, it was an embarrassment to whatever the NCAA is. It just was an embarrassment. I, I absolutely checked out. And even on these playoffs, I'm going to watch them probably, but I don't care. I could care less about any of these four teams. Like Alabama's just in it because they wanted Alabama, quite honestly. And they, And Texas is in it because they couldn't put Alabama in it without Texas. I mean, when we get to this point, they've sat around for a month. You can't expect them to play well, even if they all play, and most of the time they don't all play. Something's got to be done, Corey. That's all I'm saying. It's time to pull the ripcord. Realize that the bull games aren't what they used to be, and let's move on.
0: Happy New Year to you as well, Ryan. We appreciate you tuning in here on on a on a Saturday morning. Uh, real quick before we go. Um, The ACC, Florida State, Florida State wants to get out. What are your thoughts on it as I go to plug my my laptop in?
1: (laughs) If Florida State is allowed to get out of it, um, and I think it's going to go to the Supreme Court, (laughs) if Florida State is allowed to get out of it, I think the ACC is done. The ACC, I think, is going to blow up if, if the Supreme Court rolls in their favor and lets them leave. I I think it'll open the floodgates. There's a lot of teams like Clemson that have also been wanting out. And if that happens, um, I just see it completely falling apart. There'll be three super conferences. They'll start with the SEC, the big 12 and the big 10 will absorb everybody and move from there. Mm -hmm. 12 to 16 game playoff. will probably make it palatable for some, but the, 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 the conference set up right now, it's destroyed. Destroyed. Yeah. Yeah.
0: We're on the path, I think, to two, maybe three super conferences. And I think, I think it's going to boil down to two after some time. Now this ACC grant of rights that Florida state is very adamant at trying to contest is pretty airtight as far as we know right now, but the lawsuits that Florida state, is filing and 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 they're, the ways that they're trying to get out of this is basically saying, like, maybe this isn't so airtight. They're challenging the exit fee. They're challenging all of these reasons to get out. Can I necessarily blame them? I don't know. But I also don't think Florida State's exactly going to become the, the, the league dog in the SEC anytime soon either. Like, I feel like this is kind of a... For Florida State's sake, I feel like this is a battle with no win in sight because eventually they're either going to get what they want and then sink into the the bog that is the SEC, or they're going to get what they want, and then all of these ACC schools are going to bolt, and it's going to become the, the big super leagues again, and they're going to be right back where they started, and they, and they are going to have to pay a big fee to do it. So there's still plenty to, to develop with Florida State and the ACC and what's going on there. But I don't see a win condition in sight for them at all. I don't see how this benefits them at all.
1: All I can say, Corey, is that we and I don't mean we, but the NCAA or whoever is in charge of, of this thing, whatever you believe that to be the cabal that lives in the mountaintop of rich people, whatever. We have allowed the media to dictate what was going to happen with college football. And I just think it's time to start thinking of these sports differently, like conglomerizing all of these um, colleges into super packs can make a lot of sense for football, but it won't for basketball and it won't for all of the non money making teams. it'll
0: become like, a logistical nightmare is what absolutely. it's going to do. It'll yep. destroy.
1: And I just think like we need to start thinking of this differently. Like it's time to splinter off football and potentially even basketball into different conferences. I mean, like ACC, whatever you want to call it, East, West, South, North, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. But just you're going to have to bucket these things better. And and you're going to have to realize the non-generation sports don't need all this consternation and crap. They just don't. Like, look what the ACC volleyball team for Pitt has done. We talked, we opened the show with it. All that stuff starts to die if they've got to travel to UCLA and, you know, uh, up to Rutgers and maybe over to someplace in Portland because there's no conference structure that keeps them regionalized. And as it is, yeah. the ACC is silly. Yeah. So, yeah. anyways, a long show, I know. And Corey's got stuff to do today. So. Oh,
0: no, we, we're good today. <laughs> I, I carved out the day for this. I'm, I'm, I was excited to get back because there was a lot to talk about in the college sports world in a general sense. And of course, as it pertained to Pitt as well, like, I mean, real briefly, Pitt versus Syracuse tonight in basketball, or today, I guess, in about an hour and a half from this live recording. Um, Panthers, you know, kind of picking up where they left off from last season. Now they still have a little bit to go. They still have a little bit to grow, but I liked what I saw from Jeff Capel and the adjustments with putting Guillermo in the starting lineup um, and, and then just giving that team a little bit of a different look as far as the starting lineup was concerned. So. Uh, we'll see what happens with the pit basketball program. Yeah. Uh, a, a, a kind of a seesaw ish start to start the year. I think I, we could say they're nine three, but like they've beaten a bunch of nobodies. And then they, they, they got beat by Florida. You know what happened with Missouri? Um, a few tough ones in there. Uh, obviously the loss to Clemson. So they still have a bit to go. I think with this, I team. think
1: we're seeing the inconsistencies of youth to a degree too. Um, you know, Carrington has more talent than anybody on the team, period. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he he also has a tendency to get rushed. And he's very one-handed. And he gets driven into trouble pretty easily. And he makes some rash decisions with the ball. And that's not ideal for a point guard. So, you know, there's some issues there. Low, you know, if he's feeling it, man, he, he could be great. If he's not feeling it, he can be the most detrimental player they have. Mm -hmm. Um, Austin has looked good. You know, there's some building blocks there. I think it's just a matter of it coming together a little bit. Syracuse, uh, I don't know. These teams post their big superstar coaches always. They're always questionable. Well, no more Jim Boeheim. That's what I mean. Like, I don't don't know what what to expect from Syracuse or a Syracuse team. Normally, I would tell you they're going to go zone and screw up Jeff Capel. I can't tell you that now. And, you know, Duke's not the same. North Carolina's not the same. ACC in general doesn't have the prestige it used to. It really should be anyone's conference. So uh, let's just enjoy this season. I think it's going to be fun.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, there's almost a house money quotient in some ways. Like, I think there's some pressure to perform here, no doubt. And like the pressure to do it again from Jeff Capel, as we talked about before the season started. But I also think there's a little bit of house money here in the sense of they did it last year and it's a big ride and now they're kind of surging on that wave, so to speak. But this is a, this is a test for them an ACC road opponent. It's not easy to play in the JMA wireless dome and it's not easy to play there. Not just because of Syracuse does generally well with home crowds, but that's also a hard building to play in from a, how do I phrase this architectural perspective? The sight lines are different. Shooting yep. deeper is different. It is a different look than what you see in other arenas, in other college arenas. It's way more wide open than it is intimate. So good challenge coming up for Pitt. I'm excited to see what they do. And Gary, it's oh my good to God, get back. Poor
1: Ryan Lytle. It's good to get back. His, Ryan Lytle's wife is a Cleveland and WVU fan. Hmm. Ryan, no wonder you spend so much time on these live streams with us. Thank you so uh, much, bro.
0: He's gotta get his fixes in for sure. <laughs> yeah. Cleveland and West Virginia. The only logic I have there is that maybe you guys are from the area and moved up there, or she went to West Virginia. Those are the only two like I know people that are that are Steelers fans and Ohio State fans, and that's just how they roll. That's just how they live. And I know people that are Pitt fans and Browns fans, if you could believe that or not. Like it's kind of odd, but hey. Good for you. Do what you need to. Have at it. Uh, you know, I grew up an LA Rams fan in football, so you know, oh, I mean, like
1: LA how Rams. How did you, and wait, how did you grow up an LA Rams fan? They would have been St. Louis Rams when you. Well, that's true. Were but, a kid, but my dad's.
0: Right? So, well, that's true. My dad, um, you know, in the '70s, grew up watching you know, Ferragamo, Fearsome, Foursome, those teams, and then my first ever jersey that I got back when I used to. I don't buy jerseys anymore. I just think it's in my opinion, it's a waste. Um, So in my opinion, it's a waste of money unless you're getting like a generational player. Uh, Like don't buy the the next year's quarterback. Don't,
1: I don't buy them because I'm a pirates fan. They're not going to be here. Yeah. Um,
0: (laughs) So my first ever Jersey as a kid was Marshall Falk. Those greatest show on uh, greatest show on turf teams were my, were my teams, Marshall Falk, Kurt Warner, Tory Holt, Isaac Bruce, Ricky Prohl, all those guys, those were my yeah. teams growing up. So Oz Hakeem. So I just, that's just what I grew up with. And and I grew up liking and watching. And my dad grew up a Rams fan. So we used to watch all the Rams games. And, you know, I got, I have a, I have a Tory Holt jersey. I have an Eric Dickerson. I have a Marshall Falk. Um, so I, that's just what I grew up liking. And, and of course, Aaron Donald, like rekindled that for me. And like the year before I got here to Pittsburgh to cover the Steelers and Pitt, I was like celebrating the Rams Super Bowl victory. So that's, that's like my football fandom right there for you in a nutshell. And of course I went to Syracuse. So
1: nothing wrong with that. And even if you were a Steelers, even if you were a Steelers fan, you're not allowed to be one right now doing your job. So um, I think that's that's one thing. I think a lot of people have a misconception about with, with the people covering their, their teams, you're not necessarily supposed to be their fan. So, I mean, I, in fact, the, if you really enjoy reading people's journalism, you don't want that either. You just think you do. Yeah. <laughs> so, I think yeah. you want people to be honest with you um, about you, the team. You got to
0: have an objective eye. You have to have an objective eye. It's th- it's different to get to know some of the players, and you get to root for people. Yeah, you get yeah. to look at somebody and say, "I hope they succeed." You get to you get to know somebody and say, "Hey, how's your family? How was your holiday? How are you feeling? What's going on with you? Like your life." and it's cool to have those interactions that's that's part of the cool thing about it you become fans of people and not really of like you know all right yeah. let me i'll just say it like if the steelers lose to seattle like i'm not going to lose sleep over it i'm not going to sit there and agonize over it cuz that's yeah. just that's not how i'm wired that's just not how i operate
1: that said, a playoff run would be better for the site, I'm sure. So let's hope.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I like I like content. I'm a fan of content. So there right. you go.
1: I mean, you're going to get content one way or another because yeah, there's going to either be true. some really, really angry writing coming in about a month, or there's going to be really, really like overjoyed, can't believe this happened yeah. writing coming in about a month. No, so. I mean, I
0: hope that reflected with like when Pitt made the NCAA tournament. I hope that I was able to reflect it. And Sure carry this voice of the team so to speak into into you know the site so that that's the goal that's what i'm here for so
1: that's uh, great stuff happy yeah. to be back with you brother and uh, we should probably end the show the way, the way we usually do which is h2p happy new year everybody happy new year